trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. If you like grain markets and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Thank you for joining me. It is Friday, finally Friday, uh, July 31st. I'm speaking here uh, in the morning. September Corn Futures just made some fresh contract lows just by a couple of ticks. I kind of figured that uh, that would happen. Usually those double, triple, quadruple bottoms, they never hold. Uh, soybean markets acting a little bit better up this morning. We uh, came back and... and uh, Finished off of the lows yesterday, so really not a terrible performance there. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you have not already subscribed to the podcast, make sure you go on whichever podcast app you use, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify, Stitcher. There's a whole bunch of them, and uh, this podcast is available on just about all of them. So make sure you, you subscribe. Make sure you are made aware when new content is available. And uh, leave me a review if you have time. I would really appreciate it. wanted to run through some of the uh, news stories of the week and just just kind of wrap up this week, which has, again, really not been an exciting week in the grain market. It's kind of disappointing overall for corn futures in particular. These uh, Chinese purchases are interesting, and they continue to make headlines. So on uh, what would have been Thursday morning, China made its single uh, day purchase record, a uh, largest single day purchase on record of U.S. corn, the equivalent of about 78 million bushels for new crop delivery. And that eclipsed the previous record, which was, I think, about 68 million bushels from just a couple of weeks ago. So China has bought a whole bunch of corn here um, for new crop delivery over the course of the last few weeks. Our new crop export book for both corn and for soybeans look they look real good. Uh, new crop corn sales are 122% ahead of last year's pace. Um, that's the best since 2013, second best on record. New crop soybean sales are 353% ahead of last year's pace. That is the fourth best on record be behind only 2012, 2013, and th 2014. Uh, wheat sales 13% ahead of last year's pace. So we've got a really uh, good-looking start to the uh, uh, demand side of the balance sheet for this new crop marketing year with these exports. Now, the, uh, the 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 argument to this would be, you know, these are Chinese purchases. They have been known to cancel or switch or, you know, if the Brazilian crop's really big, a lot of these uh, shipments may not ultimately come to fruition. And that may be true, but there's no guarantee of that. Uh, the other debate is is surrounding the trade deal. Is is China buying this stuff because of the trade deal, or are they buying it because they need it? My my thought would be that maybe it's a little bit of both. I th I think it's more so an economic thing. I think that China is interested in uh, buying cheap U.S. corn when their corn is is at multi year highs. Uh, they've been selling corn out of their stockpiles domestically. Uh, they've been trying to cool the prices there, and they've been unable to do it. So I would not be surprised to see uh, China buy some additional U.S. corn, and and we need all of the demand we can get given the uh, crop prospects here in the U.S. Given the idea of this. Uh, massive surge in ending stocks and in and a high stocks to use ratio, all that real negative fundamental stuff. 
Um, so the, the China story is certainly interesting. And I think July, I, I believe China set records in terms of uh, U.S. corn purchases and U.S. soybean purchases. So that's good news, but it hasn't uh, done for the market what we would like it to do. I mean, you'd like to see corn rally on news like this. And uh, like I said, Friday morning, we made some new contract lows in the September corn contract. You'd like to see soybeans rally, and they've perked up a little bit. And um, the soybean market has trended higher. You know, you pull up a soybean chart, and, and we've been trending higher since May. It's just that we haven't made an, a new contract high in some of this stuff for a while. The nearby August soybean contract made some fresh, um, I'm sorry, multi-month highs. We made some fresh multi-month highs in the August soybean futures just uh, would have been last week and we reverted lower. It's been a little bit longer for the November futures. But you know, the bean market's at least given you something to work with here. We've had a little bit of a rally. We're, we're back to levels where maybe some farmers can make money. Other farmers may be closer to break even. Other farmers may be still eyeing losses with these prices. But the bean market's at least given you something to work with. We've trended higher. The funds are long the beans. Um, you've got a situation there that that could turn positive if the right things were to happen, if we can keep up this demand. Uh, the corn has just been the opposite. It's just the, this idea of the big crop and all of the demand that we lost because of ethanol is uh, is, is still a, a huge, huge factor. And, and as time goes on, people forget about that, how many hundreds of millions of bushels worth of demand we lost via ethanol. Uh, you know, earlier this year as a result of the virus. And we're still not back to normal in terms of the ethanol grind. So we, we still have issues there, certainly. I did a uh, an episode uh, a few weeks ago about the possibility of a contra-seasonal second half of the calendar year in the corn market. And uh, that has not uh, come to fruition or, or started to work out yet, but we've still got a lot of time. We're, we're only a month into the second half here. We've still got uh, August, September, October, November, December to do something in, in terms of a rally in the corn market. You know, we're sitting here at the end of July discussing uh, what is likely going to be a record corn yield and what will likely be a record corn crop. I think we need to have a corn yield north of 180 to uh, achieve a record crop and and uh, get above that 15.1 billion, which was the, the previous record crop from 2016, I believe. So I think if you're above 180, I think we'll be above 15.1, assuming that the uh, acreage numbers are correct. So given that we're talking about all this stuff here in late July, my thought is that, um, and, th- and this is just my opinion, and, and a lot of this stuff is just my opinion. My thought is that we could post a low, a seasonal low, like a harvest low, even we could call it that. Uh, we could do it very early this year. These markets are incredibly efficient. Uh, they are very, very quick to price in fresh news. And, and the fresh news regarding the crop, I think, came in the form of that crop progress report last or, or this this past Monday, where USDA increased the uh, the the corn rating in the good to excellent category by 3%. That's a major that's a big increase uh just in general and a big increase especially for this time of year. Typically once you get into late July, early August, we start to deteriorate in terms of crop ratings and to see a 3% bump in the good to excellent category in late July is is not normal and that's kind of what what I think set off the idea that not only is this corn crop going to be good or is this yield going to be good? It's going to be 180. It's going to be 181, 182. We've seen some estimates, uh, some outlier estimates even in the mid to upper 180s, which would just be phenomenal. But the fact that we're talking about it now 
makes me think that, yes, right now we're in the process of discounting a record crop. There's, there's no doubt about that. But I think that that process could, uh, could complete itself very quickly this year. I, I think that this could be a year, um, where we post a low very early. It could be August. It could be September. Um, the, the fact that we're talking about a big crop and, and the fact that it's already kind of a known factor, that doesn't mean that the market can't go lower. And it doesn't mean that the market has to rally. I just think that in some way, shape or form, we're going to discount this big crop very, very quickly. We're in the process of doing it. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see an early low in the, in the corn market. And it could come very soon. It could come in the next week. It could come on that August uh, WASDE report when USDA in all likelihood is going to increase their yield number. I believe that's August 12th. So that is some food for thought. Um, just, just always keep in mind whenever you see any sort of news that uh, if if it is fresh news, and, and you've got to go back to my my uh, podcast about news and headlines and, and how to use that stuff. If it is fresh news, and I believe that those crop ratings and the idea that that the crop is going to be very big, um, I think that that is is kind of fresh news, and that the, the that big bump in crop ratings was unexpected. Um, we're we're going to price it in very fast. The market's going to be very very efficient, and if USDA comes out and bumps the yield number up to 180, 181 on uh, on the twelfth or whenever that report is. Uh, the market will be very efficient and very quick to price that in. So my hope would be that we can price this thing in very quickly and post some sort of low in August or maybe early September and and go that route um, and 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 for some reason maybe have a contra seasonal rally, maybe have a a, a late August uh, September rally, an October rally. And I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, shooting for the moon here by any means in, in regard to prices, but I don't think that, you know, say a trade in December corn futures back to those uh, highs from early July, that 360 range, that, that sort of neighborhood. I don't think that's impossible by any means. And I still think there's a shot that at some point during this calendar year, we've got six or uh, we've got five months left to go. I still wouldn't be surprised if it, for some reason, the funds covered all of that short position. It's just, we've gone so long without, without a big short covering event. And, uh, it's, it's very abnormal. And I understand this is an abnormal year. And I, I understand all of the bearish arguments. I've told you that before. I, I get the reason why everybody's bearish, why sentiment is bearish. I understand the balance sheets. I understand how stocks to use ratios work, but I also understand understand that you know every year that I've been doing this and even if you go back uh and, and look at charts prior to that era um the market finds a reason to rally for for some reason and in a lot of cases low prices do cure low prices to some extent we should be building up demand here and um I hope that's exactly what we're doing uh I did talk about corn spreads in my morning commentary today I wanted to elaborate on that just a little bit uh, this is of particular interest to anybody who has some uh, new crop corn sales on the books versus that December 2020 contract. And typically what I do when I make my my very early forward sales, which started last summer for, for the 2020 crop, um, I'll, I'll use the December contract and then I'll wait until the carry presents itself to uh, roll those positions forward and capture the carry if I'm given the opportunity and if if a particular customer or operation 
has the bin space to uh, store that corn and then capitalize on the carry in the market. So this morning, as I speak here, the December 20 versus July 21 corn spread, there's 25 cents a carry there. And that's typically really good. 25 to 30 cents is, is typically a great place to roll existing uh, December corn sales into July, capturing that carry. So if you, say, made some early sales last summer or even on that rally a couple weeks ago, um, that's something you should take a look at. Now, this year could be interesting. Uh, uh, very rarely does that spread go past 30 cents. It's, it's only happened, I think, if you look at the at the historical chart dating back to the uh, early 80s, it's only traded past 30 on a couple different occasions. There was there was a few times in, in that like 2005 to 2008 time frame. Uh, 2008, we went out to past 40 cents. But most years, if you can if you can roll December hedges out to the following July and pick up 25 cents, that's pretty good. The uh, CME group made a move to increase storage rates a couple years ago, and, and it, it's, it's in effect right now. So uh, theoretically or, or technically, these spreads, they could go further this year than they have in the past. They have the ability to trade out to, say, 35, 40, 45, even 50 cents, I think. I'm not sure exactly what full carry is now um, on December out to July, but it's wider than it used to be. So 25 cents could look really good this year, or uh, by rolling at 25, you could be leaving something on the table. So if, if you're considering taking existing new crop corn sales and rolling them forward to capture that carry, uh, first off, you don't have to wait till expiration. You can do that at any time. And you want to do it when the pr- when the price presents itself, when the opportunity presents itself, not just because you have to or because you're coming close to expiration. Um the second thing is that, you know, look at the numbers, look at how it works out on, on your spreadsheets. I've talked about spreadsheets at, at length before and see if it makes sense for you, uh, given your storage situation, given your economic situation, financial situation. See if it makes sense to roll those sales out and capture that carry because, you know, if you've got some decent corn sales on the books and you can tack 25 cents onto them, we've got to nickel and dime this thing for everything it's worth this year because uh, profits are going to be very difficult to come by for, for most of us barring, um, you know, government payments, which is probably going to happen again this year, but I, I don't know for sure. Uh, that's going to be the only way you get even close to profitability on a lot of this stuff is to really, really play the games that are available to you. And, and that carry in the corn market is, is one of the things that, uh, is in our favor if you have, uh, the bin space to deal with it. Uh, weather's been pretty much a non-factor, um, you know, you look at the maps here moving forward, it's going to be cool. Uh, no threat of, of extreme heat, nothing like that in the cards here. So uh, that's not really an issue. I want to go back to go back to that spread story or, or comment for a minute. Um, we don't have really any carry at all in the soybean spreads um, from, you know, no beans out to say, March of 21, you've got three cents a carry. I think there's going to be a lot of farmers who want to price beans at harvest or be done with them at harvest because there's really not the incentive there to store them. I mean, you can, you can hold and hope and you can always do that. But in, in regard to the spreads and the way that the market's set up, they're incentivizing you to sell at harvest. So I think my goal in, in grain marketing is going to be to get a lot of my, and I've already got a, a pretty good chunk of my new crop beans priced, but, um, to, to have the majority of them priced by harvest and be able to deliver them because the way the spreads are set up right now, there just isn't the incentive to carry beans. If, if you're going with the hold and hope strategy, then yeah, that's fine. But the, the, the spreads are, are not telling you, uh, to hold beans or to carry beans. Spreads are telling you to go ahead and sell them at harvest the way, 
that this thing is set up right now, certainly. The uh, currency story has been in uh, a, a big story that circulated in, in the media and, and um, you know, a lot of brokers and different people are talking about it. Fact of the matter is the U.S. dollar index is so heavily weighted versus the euro currency that it doesn't matter a whole lot for the corn and soybean markets, in my opinion. Um, the, the reason why currency matters is, is because it changes the the relationship in in export prices. So when the dollar is really strong, it makes our our products look non-competitive on the export market. When it weakens, it it makes our uh, products look a little bit more favorable. The problem is that we're competing with Brazil and uh, the U.S. dollars gained 28% versus the Brazilian currency since the beginning of the year. It's been mostly sideways in recent weeks. So despite the fact that this well-followed version of the dollar index has been soft and it's at two-year lows, it doesn't really help us out in, in terms of corn and soybeans. It may help us out in wheat a little bit, um, but in, in terms of the direct competition with Brazil and Argentina that we have for exports, the uh, currency thing is not not really helping us right now. And as a matter of fact, like I said, it's, it's a 28% uh, increase that we've seen in the dollar versus the Brazilian currency since the beginning of the year. That's that's negative for us. That's negative for, for uh, U.S. corn and, and for U.S. soybeans as it compares to Brazilian corn, Brazilian soybeans. Uh, Brazil's probably going to have a record bean crop to harvest come uh, February, March. That's the way it looks. Now, of course, weather could always be an issue. You can always run into a weather uh, event, and, and weather is, is the thing that can drive prices uh, more so than anything. The yield number is always the biggest swing number on the balance sheets, and uh, you know they can plant record acreage, but if, if they have crop problems, there's always that potential that there could be an issue there, but that's not anything <clears throat> we have to worry about right now. I think the trade's just kind of settling in and thinking, yep, that Brazilian crop is going to be uh, pretty big. And I have, I have no reason to think otherwise until I see some weather that is uh, adverse. Wheat futures, you know, the SRW market's held on okay. And the Kansas City market has been more sideways. Spring wheat's been more sideways. Uh, we just we can't get this export program going, and it's a chronic problem that's that we've been dealing with for years. And um, I, I've talked about this before, but back in the mid mid nineteen seventies, the U.S. accounted for half of all global wheat exports. This year, we're going to be lucky if we can account for fifteen percent. So we've lost a ton of share of the uh, wheat export market. A lot of it's because Russia's really expanded, and a lot of our competitors now, the EU, uh, Russia, you know, the Black Sea region. They've got a big freight advantage to a lot of the big importers like your, your Egypts of the world who import a ton of wheat. So we continue to struggle there. And that's why wheat acreage continues to fall year over year and why wheat exports struggle, that sort of thing. Hope everybody has a nice weekend. Um, I've got some moving to do. My parents are moving down this weekend, so uh, maybe moving some furniture, doing that sort of thing. Um, if you need some information from me, my email address is info, I-N-F-O at standardgrain.com. You can shoot me an email anytime with a question, a concern, a comment, whatever. I'll get back to you personally. If you are interested in how I'm pricing grain throughout the year, uh, what I'm doing from a marketing standpoint, uh, definitely take a look at my subscription service. It's 49 bucks a month. You can cancel it at anytime. It's built through PayPal. It, it bills your credit card automatically. And you, you can literally go on there and cancel it anytime if you decide that this isn't for you. But you don't need to be a futures or options trader to participate. You can follow my cash recommendations. And uh, I think I can help you improve a little bit, maybe give you a little bit different take on the situation than, than maybe what you're getting elsewhere. And um, um, again, there's no other fees. There's no, I don't charge acreage fees. I don't charge any sort of other fee. And, uh, you don't need to be a futures or options trader. If you're just somebody who's looking for, uh, uh, places to make cash grain sales or, or 
put HTAs on or whatever, or you want to know when it's a good time to uh, to take an HTA or a, or a sale and roll it, like I talked about with those corn spreads, uh, check out that service. Go to standardgrain.com, click on Grain Marketing Plan. And if you have any questions about that, shoot me an email to info at standardgrain.com. Have a good weekend. We'll catch you later. 